it really is authenticity. We like to have a tone of voice that's real to the company. And that means real to the people that work at the company. Welcome to another episode of Communicating Purpose. I'm John Higginson, founder of purpose-led communications agency, Higginson Strategy. I believe that the best way to get a message across clearly is by talking about something you honestly and passionately believe in. This is your purpose. When you start talking about your purpose, you become passionate. Your passion is infectious and and it brings people with you. Your passion becomes the passion of others. And this is the power of purpose. This week is National Bike Week and joining me today is Laura Elms, Head of Sustainability and Communications at Human Forest. Human Forest is London's most sustainable e-bike app. Its fleet of bikes are 100% electric and are free for the first 10 minutes of riding. They're trying to get Londoners out of cars and onto bikes in a bid to cut carbon emissions. Every Human Forest bike battery is charged with renewable energy and their fleet of support vehicles is comprised exclusively of electric vehicles. Laura is an experienced communications professional with a stint at Finsbury Communications and AI platform data miner before joining Human Forest. Now, I must say I'm an avid user of rental e-bikes and e-scooters that are now all over our cities across Europe. Uh, I have the Lime, Bolt and Human Forest app on my phone and I just use uh, whichever one I can find closest, I'm afraid, Lauren. Um, the, the last journey I took was on an e-bike from London Bridge to our office here in Shoreditch. And today's episode is being recorded here in our podcast studio, just off Brick Lane. So, um, Laura, just tell us a bit more about your communications journey uh, to where you are now. Yeah, hi. Thank you very much um, for inviting me on. Um, so I started out, like you rightly said, at um, Finsbury, which is a financial PR and investor relations firm, where I actually worked very closely with Caroline Seaton, who is um, one of the founders of Human Forest. Um, so I, I worked there for several years um, before I moved over to a US tech company called Data Miner. Um, slightly shifted the role there, but I guess in many ways still working in the news world, uh, data miner found breaking news through AI on social media platforms and then um, I guess sold it on to news agencies or traders, for example, um, anyone who needed news quicker. Um, so less strategic and more immediate, if you like. And then um, Caroline got in touch during the pandemic. Uh, she was founding um, Human Forest with a couple of um, other guys and yeah decided to join Human Forest back at the very beginning of the company which is very exciting there were four or five of us then um, and here I am several years down the line and I've worn several different hats actually at Human Forest so um, as you rightly said we give 10 minutes free every day to all our users um, and so the way we do that is by partnering with companies so I was brought on board really to spearhead that partnership model as well as the comm side of things and then obviously pushed into sustainability as well so touching quite a lot of um, different spaces um, which is really enjoyable. 
Great. So you say um, you started when there were four people. How many how many people are there now at Human Forest? Yeah, there are uh, approximately 50. Um, we're always growing, but I think we're at about 50, 55, um, probably getting a few more into summer, so maybe close to 55. But yeah, it's, it's grown a lot in quite a short space of time. And just tell us a bit more about Human Forest. So you say that you are the most sustainable, and uh, and I've mentioned a couple of your rivals in the in the space there. Um, I think I mentioned a couple of things that that, that would make it more more sustainable, i.e., using um, renewable energy only and electric fleets. But just tell us about your your, your difference there, so that you can make that uh, assertion. Yeah. So we. Um... As you rightly said, we power all of our bikes, but also the support fleet um, by 100% certified renewable energy. Um, uh, it's quite hard to keep those bikes maintained in-house um, and also the support fleet as well. But we've kind of actively chosen to make sure we did that so that we could keep kind of control of uh, an oversight of where the energy was coming from um, for both the, the vehicles and the batteries for the bikes. Um, we also um, have zero scope one and two emissions. So that also covers things like our office space, for example, which has all been powered by renewable energy as well. Um, and then we do a piece of work um, on a sort of bi-yearly um, and then pull it together annually to analyse our scope three emissions. Um, and to date, we've been offsetting any of those scope three emissions. Typically, those emissions come from supply chain. So it's the production and the shipping of the e-bikes, which make up around 90% of those scope three emissions. So actually, 90% of our scope one, two and three emissions are from the production and the shipping of the e-bikes. And um, so so just tell me about your, your rivals. Though. So I th- I, if I get this right, I think I think your rivals will have a whole host of people that will go around and top up batteries, so that so that those batteries. And so, for for listeners that haven't used um, some of these e-bikes and e-scooters, that you can see in uh, other cities as well. Really simple method: you you uh, put your car details into the app, and then when you see one of the bikes around, you just uh, scan the code and it and it opens up for you, and you can. You can leave the bikes wherever you want. And for the e-scooters in London anyway, you have to park them in certain places. But in other cities uh, where it's more useful, it's, it's the ability to park it anywhere. Um, I know that there's um, it is controversial. You, you get some people um, complaining that the bikes are uh, uh, left in the way and uh, of people. Tell us about how you've kind of dealt with some of those um, some of those issues. Yeah, that's a really good question. So um, that is, I would say, our day to day, like primary communications um, challenge, um, particularly because we operate in London and London, um, unlike other cities across Europe um, and America, they have a bit of a different way of operating. So we actually have to negotiate borough by borough to operate in London rather than having like one piecemeal um, negotiation that happens and tender. Um, as it is in Paris, for example. And all those different boroughs will, as as you can expect, have very different needs and requirements. So like you mentioned, up till recently, the emphasis or the ability was on um, bike share operators to be able to uh, facilitate a model where users can park wherever they want. Um, And obviously users aren't always as educated or as thoughtful when it comes to putting them in sensible places. Now, things are actually shifting a little bit. So we recently had um, 
uh, a launch into Camden where two operators were selected and we have based it all around a BAID model. So like you mentioned for the e-scooters, we're doing the exact same for the e-bikes. City of London does a similar thing. Um, so some boroughs actually are much more specific about wanting them to be in bays and, and in, uh, not docks, obviously, because they're not, they, they don't have the physical docks that the Santander schemes do, um, but in bays. So we are actually, I would say, probably moving to more of a model where that happens. It's, it's hard to tell at the moment, but obviously a lot of local authorities will want the emphasis to be on having specific areas for them. Mm. But for us, that challenge operationally is making sure that we have enough of the bays uh, for people like yourself to be able to um, travel not too far a distance to actually get one of the bikes, because that is obviously a really big point. And, and that's actually typically where we see people going when it comes to the choice of bike that they pick. Although people maybe engage with our sustainability messaging, they don't. it's not always a massive driver of why they pick us over one of our partners, one of our, sorry, um, uh, peers. So, um, yeah, that's a big thing for us, just trying to work with the local authorities to find... Um, and allocate suitable and a uh, large network of bays across the boroughs um, so that we can encourage more of that parking into the bays rather than left, like you said, on the roadside or blocking entrances or accessibility issues. Mm. So as you say there, you're essentially doing something that, that, that costs a bit more money. It has to cost more money to be more sustainable and working in the way that you are than some of your peers. Um, tell us about what you think are kind of communications wins that you've made? Well, a big part of that, um, of that piece around um, sustainability and affordability. So we're about, we're, we're about 50% cheaper than our peers over a 20 minute period. And a lot of that has been hafting to have a slightly different revenue model. And our revenue model is geared towards having what we like to call partner companies. And the partner companies sponsor the user's rides. So one of our communication sort of challenges was also making sure that a user acknowledges that one of these partner companies has brought the ride to them, that 10-minute free ride. Um, and the way we were doing that was through in-app um advertisements essentially from our partner company so in the same way that Santander will sponsor the TFL bikes our partners would sponsor um, our our users 10 minute free rides but it's a pop-up notification and that can be quite annoying for a user so trying to get that message across at first we we didn't really connect the partners um, with the 10 minute free clearly enough so a lot of feedback from our users was actually that um, that they just found them annoying they didn't really understand where the 10 minutes was coming from. So we've become a lot more transparent with this rider sponsored by this 10 minute free rider sponsored by uh, Bloomberg or whoever, whoever it is that we've got on at the time. So that was one of, I think, a, a good step for us um, in terms of more general kind of wins we got a great article in the ft that was on the sector, but was um, mentioned us in a really favorable light, which obviously is really great, particularly at our stage of startup life. Having that to show to potential investors is always super helpful. And I think in general, the FT kind of goes into some really interesting depth with some really good data behind it. And that's what it was supported by. So that was fantastic. Yeah. And then really? we had, I mean, sorry. Well, tell, tell us about that um, FT win then, then, because lots of our listeners are comms professionals. Obviously, everyone wants yeah. to get into FT. What did you do? Was that was that proactive or or reactive? I, that was sort of around the. I guess a lot of this in general is going to be hard for the FT to write just on one startup now. Not impossible, but 
um, it's always easier to hook to the larger market trends, which is what we did. Um, and then just found the right data. We knew that they were going to be interested in data. So there was um, a good, I think it was Fluctuo survey um, around usage of the bikes and ours, our bikes, because probably of the affordability element were being used about four times as much as the competitors i think i've got that that stat right so it was having that stat that linked the affordability and the usage um and showed us obviously in in a a very positive light that i think kind of helped there great but 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 in terms of um wait how did you find out that the journalist was writing about this issue did you did you go to that journalist or or did they put out a request to you yeah they put out a request to us to to speak I mean I think it was sort of a long time coming and directly through Caroline herself and now obviously Caroline's worked in communications for quite a while herself um and mm. has built those kind of relationships great and just for our listeners tell us who Caroline is Caroline is one of the founders of Human Forest she's one of the three founders um she's uh Kiwi lady and then the other two founders are from Chile so we've got a a good diverse uh, mix of of people in the team. Great. Can you uh, tell us about any communications failures that you've had at any point in your career? Yeah I mean I think so we launched the bikes we had 300 bikes in um, Islington and Camden I think it was in summer 2020 it was a sort of trial just 300 bikes we've now just to give you a bit of perspective got about well several thousand and 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 increasing over the summer so it was a small trial and um after a few months we realized that there was a hardware issue with the bikes and so we actually had to take the bikes off the roads after only a couple of months. And obviously, when you build up to launching somewhere, there's a lot of energy, there's a lot of hype, you do a lot of work to launch. And then actually to pull them all back was quite hard. Um, obviously, a hard decision to make, but we we obviously put safety sort of before anything else. Now, I kind of feel in retrospect that we should have been a bit more proactive with that message that we were taking them off the roads for safety reasons. Um, and it's a lot easier to say that in hindsight, because at the time we didn't know whether we were going to be taking them off the roads and then not putting them back on again or um, putting them back on in three weeks time when the issue was sorted. What we actually ended up doing was getting a whole new fleet of bikes from a completely different provider um, because we weren't so convinced about the, the the durability of that that original hardware so it's quite easy now to say that I kind of wished that we had been on the front foot a little bit more and been able to say look we've taken these bikes off the roads um we didn't we, we weren't sure and safe com- completely kind of sorted on the safety side um, around a particular um feature of the bike so that was something that I, I kind of wish we'd done a little bit more proactively uh, rather than reactively I'd say is, is there anything else that you've found even more challenging in your uh, uh, communications career or was that the biggest one? I think that was the biggest one for us. I mean, it was so so much with riding on it. And, and with that, we had to, you know, lose a few people within the company to kind of because we we're winding down the operations completely. There was no revenue coming in. So although it might feel like that wasn't as significant as it is, as it was, it really was a big. And, and then we were doing that in the pandemic when getting a whole new fleet of bikes from the other side of the world was uh, very delayed. So we knew that by taking this decision, 
it was it was going to knock us back quite a lot. Um, but yeah, that that really was the biggest challenge. It cut across the sort of communication side, the operation side, the sort of are we going to survive as a, as a very new startup uh, in quite a difficult market. And the most important, I think, for a lot of people is the people side. That that's tricky. Yeah, yeah, and and it's it's probably hard to remember now, but but. But we were all so worried about touching things that that, that other people yeah. were were touching back in the start of the pandemic. You know, everyone was was putting gel on their hands and mm. uh, uh, worried that they were going to c- catch um, COVID from from touching things. So I know that had some kind of effect, and there were some fears of people not wanting to jump on a, a bike that someone else might have just 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 been on right at the beginning as well. Yeah, we did um, some. We we actually included some sanitizer on each of the bikes. It was like locked onto all the bikes. So we tried. Yeah. We tried quite a lot around that. And interestingly, we saw some really different sort of behaviours during the pandemic in terms of use of the bikes than we do now. It was quite. It's actually quite a nice um, contrast and to look back on being able to look back on it and see the kind of case studies around how people were using bikes then to now is very very different. So how are they? How are they different then? They so there weren't now we have peak times of being sort of 8 a.m. and 6 p.m. So it's really is a commuter tool, like you mentioned, coming from um, the station to your office. And that's really what we see a lot of our bikes used for. Whereas in the the pandemic, because there wasn't there there wasn't that sort of working in the office environment, people were actually using them more as like a leisure activity, something to get out and about that daily exercise or meeting their friends in a socially distant way. So it was just a a, just a really interesting kind of contrast to to back to normality. But also seeing that transition, because we have a data platform behind all of it. um, And we've got a dedicated data and tech team uh, that kind of analyze all the peaks and the busy hours um and actually seeing it change through the pandemic so obviously we had all the kind of back in lockdown out of lockdown and then slowly seeing people really actually come back to work in a meaningful way which is i think really where we are now great tell us what media you use yourself um so myself i as i said i like the the financial times i like that it's based on a lot of data it's obviously just a great outlet um i listen to podcasts mainly around politics um so the rest is politics obviously i think i feel like everyone's probably talking about them at the moment um i don't watch much tv for news at all i find it a bit depressing um i think i the last time i really was watching tv for news was probably the pandemic when it felt like things were very live so maybe that's when tv becomes more interesting um and a little bit on linkedin obviously it's a bit of an echo chamber i find sometimes but it can be interesting for um sort of equity related news and then um i i really love the um ft sustainable views uh email that goes out at lunchtime and then local for us at human forest obviously we're only london based at the moment um so you know the evening standard city am really really great for us great and what for you makes a good message as a communications professional I mean, I think it's been said even just in your introduction, and I think I've listened, you know, to quite a few of your previous guests, and it, it really is authenticity. We we like to have a tone of voice that's real to the company, and that means real to the people that work at the company. So another great, I'd say, communications um, 
success we've had, or actually two thinking about it, is we've we've tried to approach the problems we have, which is parking that I think we touched on briefly, and also vandalism um, in a way that's sort of authentic and hopefully carries a strong message, um, but it's also quite fun. So, um, for example, with the vandalism, we found one of our bikes had been half painted with gold paint. And I can't take any credit for this because this is our amazing sort of social and design team that thought this idea up. They um, painted the bike completely in gold and it was the gold bike uh, highlighted in the app and you could ride for free around if you found the gold bike. And so it became a big thing, finding the gold bike and seeing it and people really loved that. Um, and then another one we did um, in, I think it was sort of November, October last year when when the parking was become probably problematic. And although, of course, we we give people warnings, we find them, ultimately we ban them if they keep parking in, in bad places. We also have to do a really good piece around education because I think a lot of it, again, like you met, you touched on it, as a user, you just want the convenience. So you find as close a bike as possible. But also when you end a ride, you're going somewhere. So you end it, you go. Um, so we've got to try and get the message across that actually you need to be considerate with the way you park them if you want to keep using them. So we launched a Don't Park Like a Dick campaign. And just to try and get into many people's attention, what was what what constitutes being acting like a dick and what constitutes like basically parking well. So that got quite a lot of attention and I think it was humorous and, and it and it did well. We've done another recent one at the, um, at the moment that was um your app is a bit shit because our app, quite frankly, was shit, and it was a, it was a bit of a joke across the office. Was. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Our app was shit. So I, um, I mean, I, I didn't I didn't use it for ages because you know it didn't it didn't collect the bank details properly or something like that. You know, when you when you're trying to do something, obviously you only get on the bike because you want to save that ten minutes. It, it, for me, it's it's last mile, and I wanted to get there ten minutes quicker then I'd get there walking. But generally, it would take me 20 minutes to walk and I can get there five minutes or 10 minutes on a bike. So if you're standing by a bike and the thing isn't working, it really kind of pisses you off. You know, you're like, damn, I was trying to get there quicker and I've spent another five minutes putting putting my bank details in again and it's not working. Now I'm just going to have to walk anyway and and I'm getting there slower. So, yeah, Uh, I'm I'm glad you've raised that. Yeah, we found a guy I mean maybe it was you but I don't think it was who on the street and he said do you know what we filmed him and he he was like your app is just a bit shit so and I'll send you the video that they put out um mainly on social media uh, you know afterwards and it was it was him and then and then we basically put a lot of time and resource into building our own app and having it exactly how we wanted it and then we found the guy and we said, right, we want you to test the app again. And so it was going back to this guy who thought our app was shit and, and, and asking him right. to road test it and, and recording him. And it was authentic and real and it, and it, and it was humorous. So I think it, it worked well. Great. Well, well, I did, I did use a human forest bike as uh, last night. You can, you know how much I'm using bikes because, because uh, I used one last night coming back from an event and used a different one this morning. Uh, it was a lion bike this morning, but a human forest bike last night. Um, uh, but yeah, it's it's certainly uh, working better now. So if any any listeners have tried <laughs> to get on human forest a couple of years ago and haven't used it since, uh, it is now working. Um, just tell me about what you do to de-stress at the end of the day. Um, running, I do it. I go running quite a lot. Um, I 
yeah, I, I think running is probably my main sort of space. And I also have a lovely dog who I, she doesn't always de-stress me on walks because she can stress me out a bit. But overall, being out and about with her, she's uh, a good kind of check-in for me, always getting out the house and usually immersing myself in nature. So, yeah, I'd say running and, and being with the dog. Yeah, I've, I've, I've got a dog that... that um just always likes chewing on the chewing on the lead and pulling on the lead while I'm uh, is that the same thing it's like yeah. really stressful and I just spend the whole time saying no no stop stop yeah. Yeah. um I've just I've just bought her a special collar as well which is um which is which is going to make me a bit more comfortable when we're near when when we're out near 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 roads it's one of those ones that kind of leaps and goes off and stuff like that so because she doesn't have a great doesn't have a great road sense so I do do, do get a bit nervous mm. um when we're near there but uh well, one final question uh if you give one piece of advice to yourself at the start of your career what would it be um I think it would be to just kind of trust in the process a little bit more and I don't mean just sitting back and letting things run their course necessarily but I remember you know in each of the two places I worked prior to Human Forest really wondering whether it was forever and what I was going to do and agonizing a little bit over that um and actually there were always glints that I was going to end up sort of in something like Human Forest I think um for example you know I worked for a lot of FTSE 100 FTSE 250 companies and I was trying to find I remember clearly I was sort of tasked with trying to find an interesting feature piece for one of my industrial clients which is not always the easiest task and I found that they uh in the bridges they built they built um special a, a facility for salmon to carry on going up the river and I thought that was fascinating because okay. I am very genuinely passionate about environment sustainability um and I, I didn't really ring true with the client they just didn't really know what I was talking about um and then uh, you know I left and went to data miner where there was less of a sort of purpose side to it but it was that startup world and I think I sort of uh, have ended up in a place where I'm very well suited to the, the the role and the company and so I think having agonized for years you know I didn't really drive myself to get here but I've ended up somewhere where after a few after a few years, I'm pretty comfortable in exactly where I am. So there was really no need for the agony because it all sort of fell into place. Great. Well, well, if you're interested in that, uh, I'll give a plug to um, uh, Ben um, Goldsmith's podcast, which uh, Higginson Strategies uh, helping to get uh, coverage and, and uh, coverage for. It's called Rewilding the World, and the last uh, the last guest on it is actually a charity that is getting rid of dams in Spain so that um, various wildlife can, 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 can move up those rivers again, including the European eel and other endangered uh, species, salmon as well. Um, Laura Elms, Head of Sustainability and Communications at Human Forest. You've been speaking to me, John Higginson, on communicating purpose. Today's episode is produced by Joe Leonard-Walters. If you like today's episode, please give it a five-star rating to help it get in front of other listeners. Thanks very much indeed. Great, thank you so much. Mm-hmm.